0: with Dr. Frank Turek.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we have breaking news here this morning, Hurricane Matthew, due to HB2, has canceled his visit to North Carolina. Yes, Hurricane Matthew wanted to shower with women But we here in North Carolina said, no, sorry, Matthew, you can't. So he's canceled, and he will be heading out to sea. That's the latest report we have here in Charlotte. We are getting some rain from Hurricane Matthew right now, but apparently he's decided due to HB2 he's going to head out to sea. So he will not be visiting North Carolina. Now, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) we are live here this morning ladies and gentlemen if you are a black college professor who is conservative and you point out the dangers of radical islam or the black on black murder rate in the name of in, in the name of inclusion and diversity you must be excluded and kicked out of your tenured teaching position just ask my guest today dr carol swain Dr. Carol Swain is a professor of political science and a professor of law at Vanderbilt University. She is a widely recognized expert on campaign and elections, racial politics, immigration reform, and religious liberty. She has her PhD from UNC Chapel Hill. She has a law degree from Yale. She's been a professor at Princeton. So as you can see, she's highly qualified to speak about what she speaks about. And her opinion pieces have been published in The New York Times, The Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Times, uh, USA Today. She's been a contributor to CNN, the BBC, NPR, Fox News, PBS, ABC, among other media. She's also been in a recent movie Dinesh D'Souza has put out. So uh, this uh, woman, Dr. Carol Swain, is very well qualified, yet for some reason Her university, at least students at her university, don't want her there anymore. Dr. Swain has also written several books, highly acclaimed books, including Black Faces, Black Interests, The Representation of the African Americans in Congress, put out by Harvard University Press. She's received numerous awards, and she is also, ladies and gentlemen, as you might imagine, a dedicated Christian and a conservative voice speaking out against identity politics and for uniting under under the uh, Judeo-Christian principles of our founding fathers, and she's been advocating for a public voice for conservatives who are intimidated to champion an often unpopular message in today's politically correct environment. So it's a great pleasure to have Dr. Swain on the program with me today. Dr. Swain, thanks for being on.
2: Hi, Frank. It's good to be uh, on your show.
1: Now, I got to tell everybody that you are coming to Charlotte next week, Charlotte, North Carolina, where we will have the 23rd annual National Conference on Christian Apologetics. And right on the heels of that, you're going to be the keynote speaker at Ratio Christi Symposium and Student Retreat. That's going to be right near Charlotte in Fort Mill, uh, North, uh, Fort Mill, South Carolina. You're doing a keynote speech on cultural Marxism and the progressive university. I want to get to that in just a minute. Before I do, however, I want people to know a little bit about your background. I mean, you—you you, you have an amazing background. Tell our listeners a little bit about your childhood and how you got to where you are today.
2: Well, there is a video online that's labeled the Carol Swain documentary that was mm-hmm. put together by Core Ridge Ministries. That's six minutes long, and so it gives uh, uh, some of that history. But I was a high school dropout. I was one of 12 children, born and raised uh, in the rural South. I married at 16, had my first child at 17, and I later earned a high school equivalency and went on to get five college and university degrees. My first um, teaching position was at Princeton. I got early tenure, and after being there... About ten years, I took the position at Vanderbilt. I had my Christian conversion experience between the time I accepted the job at Vanderbilt and the and when I arrived on campus two years later. Because I did not come uh, immediately after I accepted the position, I went to Yale and added the master's degree in law. I, I had already earned the PhD at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and growing up, I never thought I'd become a university professor, when I look back over my life, I see how God uh, brought people into my life who steered me into that direction, and I did not become a devout believer until late in life.
1: Now, where were you in terms of your religious beliefs as a child and through your early adulthood?
2: Well, my uh, great-grandfather and my family were Methodists, but we were not churchgoers. Mm -hmm. and I can remember an experience when I was in my teens where I was at that particular time in a church program in the Methodist Church, and it was Easter, and I read a poem, and it was something about the way the sun came through the window that day and fell upon me that caused me to know that God was real, and I wanted to be baptized, and so I told the people in the church that I wanted to be baptized, and they said, oh, that's nice. And so no one acted on that, and then I started studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, Mm -hmm. and um, they—it's a long story. We probably don't want to get into all of it, but they were (laughs) preaching that the world was going to come to an end. I was like 13 or 14. I believed them. And uh, so I studied with them for a few years. I left them um, uh, in—around the time I turned 20, and I left them before their date for the world to come to an end. And part of what I tell my story, it, it part of when I tell my testimony is, they were preaching that the world would come to an end, I believe, October 14th or 15th, 1975. Mm-hmm. I left them before that date, but life as I knew it ended in 1975. I earned my GED. I took a job outside the home. I filed for divorce. And... Um, had a child die of a crib death. All of that happened in 1975. 1976, I started the community college, and I embarked on the path that led me to where I am today. And during that time, I was always spiritual. I always believed there was something larger than me guiding my life. And as a child, I had a sense of urgency. And I had strangers, especially in my late teens, early 20s, come to me and they said, you know you're going to be famous someday. And looking mm. back, you know, I realized that um, they must have been, you know, the prophetic types that were encouraging me because I was in a hopeless situation. I was so depressed uh, in my late teens and early 20s. I'd take bottles of pills and not really trying to kill myself because I was smart enough to know how to actually do it. But it was a cry for help.
1: mm and so that was uh, at a time when you had a lot of depression, a lot of despair, and I remember I watched your 6-minute documentary on your website. I think the website's carolmswain.net, am I correct about that?
2: Yes, and I have another one that I
1: blog on called be the people TV, uh, be, dot com. be com. Carol also does some TV, so you can check her out there as well. And I remember uh in that documentary there uh, that uh, someone just encouraged you and said, you're intelligent, you're attractive, you can make more of your life, and from that point on, it set you on this trajectory to ultimately get a Ph.D. and be a professor at Vanderbilt University. Who was that person that told you that? It
2: was a medical doctor, and I guess it's okay for me to give his name now. Uh-huh. He uh, he practices in um, Ohio, Dr. Jeffrey Case, uh-huh. and... I looked him up two years ago and I thought about contacting him and you know, reminding him of um of me because I knew him when he was an intern and resident in Roanoke, Virginia, between nineteen seventy four and nineteen seventy six. And I never contacted him to tell him what became of me but last week someone was working in my house, and so the person was asking me questions. Hold the thought, Carol. We're going to come back. It was was contractor. Carol, hold the thought. We're going
1: to come back because we're running out of time here in this segment. More with Dr. Carol Swain. You're not going to believe what has happened to her at Vanderbilt. Students want to get rid of her. You're going to hear this right after the break. Don't go away. I'm Frank Turk.
3: Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of the American Family Association and American Family Radio. We're going to Israel in March, March 9th through the 17th, We'll be going to the land of the Bible, the Holy Land. We'll be seeing so many places every day. Uh, The days are just full of things you've read about in the Bible. And one of the things I enjoy about our trip is wearing people out. And we'll be wearing folks out during our trip of Israel because I know that when folks pay, To go to Israel, they want to see it all And we'll be seeing it all Including Bethlehem, Jericho, Jerusalem The Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River Nazareth, and much, much more Won't you join us on this special tour Of Israel in March For more information, just call us And we'll send you a brochure at 800-FAMILIES 800-FAMILIES Option 5 Or go on the web at twholyland.com That's twholyland.com
4: I've been listening to AFR radio since 1991. It has helped me grow closer and closer to the Lord, and I just love the station. I keep it on in my home 24 hours a day. Uh, a year and a half ago, I lost my husband. He was killed in a car accident at a four-way stop. Someone in a red light hit the car on my husband's side, and it killed him. And uh, I've had different medical things about it as well, but God has brought me through that, and. Through listening to AFR, I've had such comfort. It's just like someone else here. And I just love AFR. Thank you so much for being there and all the staff and they're all so spirit filled. I just thank the Lord and just praise God for all of you and God bless you and you all have a blessed day.
3: You can
0: hear more stories of changed lives during our three day charathon starting October eighteenth, American Family Radio for your family.
1: If you're low on the FM dial, like below 92 FM, and you're looking for NPR, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. My guest today, Dr. Carol Swain, professor at Vanderbilt University. Uh, she uh, has incredible credentials. Uh, but, as we just hinted at before we had to go to break, we got rudely interrupted by a uh, commercial break there uh, that Dr. Swain uh, has been has been petitioned to uh, actually leave Vanderbilt University. Vanderbilt uh, students wanted to get rid of her. And I want her to tell that story here in just a minute. But Carol, just before the break, you were talking about the man who encouraged you uh, to move on and make something of your life through education. You were just telling me who that was. Just complete that thought there, and then we'll get right into why Vanderbilt uh, students. Were. Well, it was actually
2: uh, two men. One was a medical doctor, and uh-huh. the other was an orderly at a nursing home. Then the orderly at the nursing home told me that I was intelligent. He told me that I could. <laughs> excuse me. Uh, I should go to college, Uh the doctor told me that I was intelligent, I was attractive, I could do more with my life, and I had never had anyone tell me that, uh, that I recalled.
1: Well, think about this, friends. Uh, young people sometimes just need a little bit of encouragement. And that's what Carol Swain got, one of 12 children who grew up in a shack in the South. And now, after getting several degrees, she is a tenured professor at Vanderbilt University. But there are some folks there at Vanderbilt, uh, Carol, who, uh, who don't like you and uh, don't like what you stand for. And, in fact, I think part of this came out of an article you wrote uh, about a year and a half or so ago on Islam, and uh, in the opening line or the opening paragraph of the article you wrote for the Tennessean, this is after a terrorist attack in France, you said this, what would it take uh, to make us admit that we were wrong about Islam? What horrendous attack would finally convince us that Islam is not like other religions in the United States, that it po- it, uh, it poses an absolute danger to us and our children unless it is monitored better than ha- than it has been under the Obama administration? Now, what happened after you published that article? And it's that's just the opening paragraph. You well, want one on to of say the more. things I want
2: to make very clear is that the people who have protested me and harassed me I, – I, a tiny minority, but they seem bigger,
4: mm-hmm, you know, yeah.
2: because of uh, they because of the institutional support. Mm-hmm. And the Muslim students complained uh, immediately after the article was published in the Tennessean. The university sent out a campus-wide email telling students that if they were threatened by the dangerous ideas, that counseling services were available. There was this protest that it was uh portrayed as being huge. I don't think there were more than a hundred people, but at the time it seemed huge. The story got national attention, and I was denounced for my bigotry and my hatred and it was uh uh you know it was a really really uh devastating uh, period of my life. I felt like I had been kicked in the stomach, and part of it was. I had never seen a university send out a campus-wide email to all the students based on an article in the local paper. So that was one thing. And then I knew that there was a double standard because there were liberal professors that wrote things that were controversial, that the public didn't like, and I did not see the university sending out um, campus-wide emails or denouncing them with press releases. So. Uh, it was a very difficult period of my life, and I was harassed for months. That subsided briefly, and I was in the process of making plans to return to campus because I, w- I happened to be on sabbatical when this happened. And in November of last year, the opinion piece was written in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, by November, I was, uh, you know, recover. I had recovered from the attacks and. The harassment has subsided. So I was making preparation for returning to campus. A student messaged me on Facebook, and he uh, told me that he and his friends were monitoring my Facebook posts, and that if I posted anything else that offended, he named a slew of groups uh, being led by the Alphabet Group, right? And that's um, what I call the LGBT. Uh, there's so many letters now,
4: right, I can't right.
2: keep track of all the letters, that um, they would have me fired. Mm. And as soon as I finished reading his post, I searched for the article that I thought would offend all the groups on his list, and I posted <laughs> it.
1: Okay. What was that article? And that
2: student followed through with his threat, uh and the, the result was the petition.
1: Uh-huh. The petition by Vanderbilt students to have you fired, even though you're a tenured professor. It wasn't and,
2: just Vanderbilt students. There were students. Um, uh, David Horowitz's group, Front Page, did an analysis and did an article, and I had support from all across the country. But it were students. Some of the ring leaders were students from Rutgers. Uh, I think some university in Massachusetts. So it wasn't really Vanderbilt students. It was part of a organized effort to target conservative professors. Mm. And so I was not the only professor at the time under siege. I think my story got more attention because I'm a black woman, you know, with a unique background. And so what made it a story was the fact that the white liberal students who call themselves social justice warriors were attacking a black woman.
1: Well. That uh, petition actually led to a statement by the university president, or university uh, chancellor. Let me get the name right here. Chancellor Nicholas S. Zeppos. And uh, he said this, and I want you to respond to it. I have heard and appreciate the serious concerns of many of our students and alumni who have signed an online petition calling for the suspension of Carol Swain, professor of political science and professor of law. And then he goes on to say, Professor Swain's opinions are her own. They do not reflect the opinions of the university in any way. They are not my opinions, the opinions of the provost or the opinions of the university leadership. So you might ask yourself, well, then what are your opinions? Well, here's what... Uh, the uh, Chancellor went on to say. Vanderbilt University is committed to diversity, inclusion, and freedom from discrimination. Now, my comment on this, Dr. Swain, I'd like you to comment on this as well, is this. What if the ideology that you, Dr. Swain, were exposing, i.e. radical Islam, doesn't value diversity, inclusion, and freedom from discrimination? Does the university oppose violence, jihad, murder, exclusion, and discrimination? If so, then it should oppose radical Islam rather than you, don't you think?
2: Well, I would say, uh, you know, that there was so much more going on. And mm-hmm. you may recall in 2011, uh, Vanderbilt adopted a policy for student organizations that resulted in about half of the Christian groups no longer being recognized on campus, that they right. don't have the same rights as other groups if they still exist. And I was the faculty member who was the public face of the opposition. So I felt like that a lot of how the university handled that was retaliatory.
1: Right. Now, why did they kick these uh, Christian student groups off? I thought they were all uh, about—Vanderbilt, that is— I thought they were all about inclusion and diversity. Apparently, if a Christian group has a diverse viewpoint from their own, they're going to exclude them. Why, Why did they do that?
2: Well, at the time, they were, not, they were saying that the Christian groups violated their anti-discrimination policy, and the policy that most Bible-believing Christians couldn't sign uh, would open up all the leadership positions to anyone, regardless of whether they affirmed a belief in Jesus Christ. In fact, the policy said you could not have a belief statement Nor could you have conduct codes. The groups like Campus Crusade for Christ crew, Mm -hmm. uh, InterVarsity, Navigators, Christian Legal Society, they required their leaders to affirm a belief in Jesus Christ and to live a biblical lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. some of their uh, constitutions and bylaws had scriptures in them. And so the university was totally opposed because they felt that the uh, imposition of those standards discriminates against gay people.
1: Mm. Mm. It's amazing that they don't see the hypocrisy, Vanderbilt, that is, of their own viewpoint that now they are discriminated against Christians. But, it's, well, I mean, it's... <laughs> that's what it is today
2: on the modern university, and I was very disappointed that the Christian groups did not stand together. Uh, there was an effort to have uh, solidarity because we knew that the university would never impose a policy that resulted in every Christian group having to leave campus. Mm-hmm. And so we um tried to get the Christian organizations to stand together and oppose the policy. Uh there were a number of groups uh that decided that they didn't have a problem with the policy. Mm.
1: And, and where does it stand now? Are those Christian groups that had a problem with, the, with, with this totalitarian viewpoint from the university, are those groups now no longer on Vanderbilt's campus?
2: They're operating uh, through Belmont and various other—most um, of these are national organizations, so they right. still exist. They're just not able to use the email system, the uh, bulletin boards, or to co-sponsor with the Christian groups that remain, and so they they uh, actually would argue, and they do argue that uh, they're doing just fine, and they've made it very clear to me uh, in many ways that you know I'm a, I am an embarrassment to them because they just want to show love, mm. and uh, mm. they have convinced themselves that it's okay. Mm. So, that's the situation now, and the students who fought you know to keep their groups and who fought against the university policy they've all graduated they've been gone for many years. Mm. The new students don't know what it was like when the groups were able to flourish on campus, so they don't know you know what was lost. The mm. leaders of those institutions uh, the national leaders and the um Local leaders of those organizations know, but they've just decided to pretty much go along, keep their heads low.
1: Yeah, that's the problem. People are always trying to keep their heads down uh, because, uh, well, we'll just let this go and then things will be okay. No, it's not going to be okay because the other side is going to continue relentlessly to stop uh, what you as a Christian Uh, want to believe and practice. Look, picking certain values automatically excludes opposite values. It's unavoidable. If you value Christianity, you automatically oppose anything that's opposed to Christianity. If you value free speech, you automatically oppose suppression of speech. If you value free exercise of religion, you automatically, if you're consistent, oppose an ideology like, say, radical Islam, which wants to shut down freedoms by force. After all, Islam means submission. We're going to talk more about this with Dr. Carol Swain right after the break. Don't go away.
0: My name is Alex McFarland, and I'm excited about co-hosting Exploring the Word because we're getting people into the Scriptures every day. We're studying the Bible together.
1: We're taking questions, and we don't shy away from the tough questions and the challenging passages of Scripture either. And what excites me the most are the emails I get from listeners across America who say thanks to Exploring the Word. Now I'm reading my Bible every
0: day. Exploring the Word, weekday afternoons at 3 Central on AFR Talk. Are you a new listener? Have you just found us and want to find out more about us? AFR.net is the place to go. Information about what's on the air right now or what programs and features are coming up can be found in our on-air schedules. There's easy access to the online store and archives of our programming so you can discover more encouragement and information than you ever thought possible. Of course, you don't want to forget about our free smartphone app. All of that is just the tip of the iceberg. I told you, the place to go is AFR.net. Here's Dan Celia with today's Stewardship Moment.
1: Remember how Jesus was rejected by many and, in fact, was probably despised because he came from that, well, that good-for-nothing town of Nazareth?
0: You know, I've often heard people say that they will certainly give to
1: certain things, but they're not quite ready to give to those areas that, in their opinion, are good-for-nothing. As we think about our stewardship,
0: we need to let God decide in our hearts what is good for the kingdom. Our job is to see that the gospel gets proclaimed regardless, regardless of where it might be going. You've just heard a stewardship moment with Dan Celia of Financial Issues Ministry, helping you plan, give, and invest wisely. For more information, log on to financialissues.org. That's financialissues.org.
1: Welcome back to Cross Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Website crossexamined.org. We're talking to Dr. Carol Swain who is a political science professor and professor of law at Vanderbilt University and has taken heat in recent years for being a conservative and pointing out that uh, radical Islam uh, is a problem and that the administration... Uh, particularly the Obama administration, has been wrong in how it is handling this situation. It is putting us all in danger. And so uh, when she wrote an article back in January of 2015 at a local newspaper near Vanderbilt, uh, she took a lot of heat for it. It was an article about Islam. You can look it up if you'd like. Uh, You can find it on the web. And uh, some students at Vanderbilt and other institutions put out a petition to try and get uh, rid of uh, Dr. Swain, to try and get her suspended from her teaching position and we've been through a statement that the chancellor put out his name is Nicholas Zeppos and uh, part of this statement that Nicholas Zeppos put, puts out is this he says i'm saddened anytime i hear that any member of our community in this case, as highlighted in the petition, our LGBTQIA community and our Muslim students, faculty and staff. So he's saying that everybody was offended by this article that Professor Swain put out regarding the dangers of radical Islam. He says, I'm saying anytime any time that these groups feel excluded from our Vanderbilt University. He went on to say, this university is home to all of us and all of us are entitled to feel at home here. Except, apparently, Christians, who he kicked (laughs) off. Uh, Dr. Swain, how do chancellors of universities, who supposedly are the brightest of the brightest among us in our society, not see the hypocrisy of their positions?
2: I think they've just been totally blinded. And I would argue that at Vanderbilt and many universities across the country, that the groups that he identifies as well as some of the black groups that they do have enormous power on campus and that everyone else is tiptoeing around in fear.
1: Now, you are going to do a keynote at the Ratio Christi event here in Charlotte this next weekend, and it's about cultural Marxism at the university. Can you kind of give us a, a an overview of what that talk is about? What, what do you mean by cultural Marxism or Marxism at the university?
2: Well. I teach a course, I've taught a course for several years on political culture, and I decided to frame my course around the impact of the communist agenda on American political thought and life. And I've had my students read Karl Marx and some of the Marxist writings, as well as Saul Alinsky, and what I would argue is that uh, the people that... Have always envisioned, you know, a socialist agenda that would someday become communist. That when they realized that it was not happening in America, it was not happening fast enough, then the cultural Marxists decided that the way you would bring about their vision was to change the culture, change the way the people think. Mm. And so the political correctness and All of the uh, things that are taking place that involve the deconstruction of the family, all of that uh, was outlined many, many, many decades ago. This is what we see that's taking place on campus. And I would argue that it's not just the natural progression of human beings becoming wiser or becoming better. It's the fact that these people had a vision. They worked steadily towards it. Many of the people that were kicked out of Europe came to America. They took university positions. They groomed people. And in the 1960s, when Saul Alinsky came along with his rules for radicals, pretty much he encouraged people to go into the system, just like Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and many other people who have had uh, Marxist ties. They have gone into the system. They've worked their way to the top. And now they're able to oppose their agendas. And I would argue that that's what we see happening on university campuses, that professors in the 1980s, when I was in school, they would say, you know, I'm Marxist. So we knew who the Marxist professors were, and you took that courses in the philosophy department. Nowadays, people don't say, I'm Marxist. They don't have to say they're Marxist, because they've been able to take their agenda and integrate it into the culture at such a level that we accept it.
1: You know, it's. uh, I think it was Lincoln who said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next, and that's what we have here today. Now, on last week's program, those of you who listened to this podcast and this radio program know we had uh, Kelly Monroe-Kulberg on, and we pointed out a website called AmericanEvangelicals.com, AmericanEvangelicals.com. And in the, on this website, Kelly uh, documents just what Dr. Swain had said. And here, I'm just gonna review the 10 points in the middle of this website that I think are irrefutable. This is what's been happening for many years, but particularly over the past eight years in America, uh, that actually uh, is exactly what Dr. Swain has just said. Ten things that have occurred. Number one, the growth industry of trafficking in human baby organs and body parts, funded and defended by the Democratic Party. Number two, the abandonment of the biblical view of marriage that protected and liberated children and adults from centuries of pagan slavery, poverty, polygamy, and non-life-giving sexuality. Number three, the transgendered agenda imposed by Obama government edict, including gender re-education, to be forced on our citizens, businesses, schools, military, and churches. Number four, the the doubling of our national debt, economic stagnation, and increased welfare dependency. Number five, increased minority and unemployment, poverty, and violent inner-city lawlessness with an accompanying loss of opportunity, self-determination, and family stability. Number six, heightened racial division and tension and the growing phenomenon of paid demonstrators being recruited, recruited and dispatched to investigate protests that often become riots. Here's an aside here. In Charlotte, just a couple of weeks ago, 70% of the people who were arrested in the in the riots in Charlotte were for from outside of North Carolina this is exactly what this point is saying, that they're, they're paying demonstrators to come in and instigate riots. Number seven, open borders and sanctuary cities, increasing drugs, disease, crime, gangs, and terrorism. Number eight, forced refugee resettlement in hundreds of American cities without citizen consent, mandated by the federal government in collusion with the United Nations. Refugees are particularly non-assimilating Muslims while authorities reject persecuted Christians. Number eight, hostility, or nine, hostility toward Judeo-Christian religious religious liberty in our courts, media, and the universities, including the suppression of conservative speakers, free thought, and moral education. That's exactly what Dr. Swain has experienced herself personally. Number ten, the widespread political use of the IRS to intimidate conservative, patriotic and Christian groups that disagree with the current political establishment. Now, she goes on to say, and this is Kelly Monroe Kolberg. she says, After such demoralization and pain, why would any religious leader ask Christians to embrace progressive political agenda that is clearly anti-Christian? In other words, there are some people out there who claim to be Christians who are claiming that these things are good. They're Christian princi- or they're, they're, they're based on Christian principles when, in fact, none of these things are based on Christian principles. They're anti-Christian. These top ten things that have occurred over the past eight years are exactly the kind of Marxist march of uh, anti-Christian ideas that Dr. Swain has just mentioned. Uh, Dr. Swain, I don't, I don't know if you've seen that website, but it's AmericanEvangelicals.com, and a lot of people, including myself, have signed it because uh, we think this is exactly what's going on and has been going on.
2: Well, I certainly know Kelly and that she's always uh, you know, champion, championing good causes, and so I will visit that website and sign that petition.
1: Yes, check that out, if you will. Now, when you come this weekend or this next weekend, uh, the 13th, 14th, well, what is it, 14th, 15th, 16th, uh, here to Charlotte, uh, you're going to be speaking at the Ratio Christi event there. And you have a, not only a plenary session, I think a breakout session. What else are you going to be speaking about at that event?
2: Well, I will be talking about my personal story some, um, and, um, and, and about universities in general. Now if if I I gave three titles, I don't remember them all exactly (laughs) off the top of my head. (laughs) But I will be talking and people will get an overdose of me.
1: Well, no, you can't get an overdose of you. You're you're a very intelligent, and you know what's going on. You're right in the middle of the fight at the university. You're one of the rare people out there who are who actually is a conservative Christian in a tenured position at a secular university. It's wonderful to have you where you are, and I know you're taking a lot of heat for it. We want our, uh, our listeners to pray for you and to encourage you to continue to do what you do. Uh, and uh, in addition to that event going on, the— uh, National Conference on Christian Apologetics is, is occurring just before that. So all day Friday, the 14th, and all day Saturday, the 15th. Um, I'll be speaking there. Lee Strobel, Norman Geisler, Hugh Ross, Jay Sekulow, uh, Gary Habermas, Richard Howell, Uh The list goes on and on and on. Uh, And if you want to come to that event, it's the best apologetics event in the country, maybe the world. It's SES.edu, SES.edu, SES stands for Southern Evangelical Seminary. So check that out. And then you can go right after that to the event that Dr. Swain is speaking out. It's just about a 20-minute drive from Calvary Church in Charlotte into Fort Mill. And uh, so you don't want to miss that as well. I think uh, Dr. Everett Piper as well, my friend who is the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, will be speaking there. He's brilliant as well. So you're not going to want to miss these events coming up in the Charlotte area next weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Dr. Swain, where do you well, stand? I wanted to
2: say that I, I, I don't believe that uh, Everett Piper is speaking. In fact, uh, I'm doing the banquet keynote, and I want to believe that
1: that was the Lord. Oh, that what? That what was that the Lord? That I'm doing the
2: banquet keynote instead of Piper.
1: Oh, I think you are, but I think maybe he's speaking at a Well, I don't know. I'll look it up during oh, the Oh, I don't know. I'm
2: sorry. Maybe I, yeah. I
1: misspoke. No, you are. I think you are the keynote, but I think he's speaking as well. I don't know. Maybe they got more than one speaker. In any event, whether it's just you. It was my
2: understanding that I was doing one of his talks because he was not able to be there.
1: Oh, oh, oh. Maybe maybe that's the case. Maybe maybe the uh, the website hasn't been updated. But in any event, you, friends, you're not going to want to miss either these two, either of these two events. The uh, the event at ses. Edu and the well, event. Well, one of at, the
2: things that I would like to share with your audience uh-huh. is that I feel strongly that. You know, God has called me to do what I do, and I realize that a lot of people don't understand my ministry. Uh-huh. And I see my ministry as being to the world, and that we hear a lot of people talk about speaking truth to power.
1: Uh-huh.
2: I believe that God has called me to and equipped me to be bold enough to take those risks that many people shy away from. And it's not something that I thought, nor do I wake up every morning wondering how to be controversial. (laughs) All I have to do is put my feet on the floor and breathe, and, you know, maybe someone doesn't like that.
1: Well, if you're a Christian and you're in the university, it's going to be controversial according to the people who are supposedly for inclusion and diversity. They're going to try to exclude you for your diverse views. If you'd like to ask Dr. Swain a question, we have one final segment. It's 888 589 Only questions for Dr. Swain. We're not talking about any other topic, so call in at 888 And no, Dr. Piper will not be here. I just got an email from Julie Luce, who is or help organizing this thing uh i thought he was but update your website julie come on all right so it's just dr carol swain which is great enough so we'll be back in just two minutes don't go away
0: i've been reading a book that's full of adultery murder and intrigue pretty wild stuff really one chapter that's captured my attention chronicles the story of an army officer who had an affair with the wife of one of his soldiers She became pregnant, and in an attempt to cover that affair, the officer arranged for her husband to be murdered. There's more to the story, but you'll have to read it in the Bible. That's right, the Bible. Perhaps you thought the Bible was a book about perfect people who never did anything wrong. You know, I used to think that too, until I discovered that God talks a lot about the bad and the disobedient things all of us have done, and He calls those things sin, God provided for your forgiveness when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and pay for the penalty for your sins. Jesus rose from the dead to give you eternal life. To learn how you can find forgiveness through Jesus, call 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. This is David Barton with another moment from America's history. As this election draws closer, we hear increasing numbers of partisan candidate commercials, Unfortunately, many votes will be cast completely along party lines. While parties are not necessarily harmful, any loyalty which places a party above principle is wrong. In fact, signer of the Declaration Benjamin Rush confirmed this same truth nearly two centuries ago. Benjamin Rush had served under three different presidents, each of whom was from a different political party. When once asked of his own party affiliation, he wisely replied, I've been alternately called an aristocrat and a democrat. I am neither. I am a Christocrat. In this upcoming election, Christians, no matter their party affiliation, need to remember above all to vote like a Christocrat. At each position, remember to vote for the most godly candidate. For more information on God's hand in American history, contact Wall Builders at 1-800-8-REBUILD.
1: gentlemen, SES.edu, the apologetics conference to end all apologetics conferences. I hope you can attend. It's in Charlotte at Calvary Church, put on by Southern Evangelical Seminary, of which I'm a graduate and adjunct professor. And uh, then right after that, the Ratio Christi event, about 20 minutes away, where Dr. Swain, my guest today, Dr. Carol Swain, will be the keynote speaker. And uh, you're not going to want to miss her, a brilliant woman who stands for truth in a very hostile world, and she's our guest today uh, here on the program. Uh, Dr. Swain, um, we're going to go to phone calls here in just a minute. Um, What is your position? I know Christians are are very much... uh, uh, conflicted about this presidential election for many reasons. Personally, I think both of these candidates have tremendous flaws. <laughs> I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, where do where do you come out? And, and I'm prefacing this by saying we we don't endorse candidates on the program, but personally, where where are you in this in this presidential election?
2: Well, first of all, uh, God does not require require perfection from
1: mm-hmm.
2: from people, mm-hmm. and we know throughout the biblical record that he's used people that most of us would totally reject, probably wouldn't even associate with. Mm. I am supporting Mr. Trump and the Trump-Pence ticket, and I believe that we need to look beyond the candidates and look at the political parties and the party platforms. Mm. If Mr. Trump wins, it's not just the Supreme Court and the Cabinet positions, there will be thousands of positions for young conservative republicans in dc because each president gets to make 4 or 5000 other appointments right. i think that would help change the direction of our country to have people who are morally sound in those positions so mr trump is the gop nominee i'm supporting the nominee and the party platform hmm.
1: I had the opportunity about, uh, what, eight nine days ago to actually meet with uh, Mr. Trump as well as uh, about 30 other conservative Christians, Catholics, who have not come out in support of Trump. And we wanted to talk to him about religious liberty issues. And uh, we had about an hour with him, and uh, I particularly talked to him. I was tasked to talk to him about the HB2 controversy here in North Carolina. Uh, and look, by his own admission, he's not a policy guy. He's a businessman. And so he wanted to be educated on what these issues were and the issues of religious freedom. And in his defense, he listened. He interacted. It seemed like he uh, he agreed with uh, much of what uh, what our concerns were. Um, I haven't been asked by the Clinton administration to talk to her or talk to her about religious liberty. But um it, it is a, a, a difficult situation here for Christians. They find themselves, you know, really not liking either candidate. But as you said, if you look at the party platforms, and uh, you look at what each party is now saying they're standing for. There is a stark difference. So I urge our listeners to go look at the party platforms and see where they stand. And I think what you said there, the Supreme Court is critically important. And you know, Dr. Swain, it shouldn't be that critically important because the Supreme Court ought to be just applying said law, established law to specific cases, but they no longer do that. Or no. they go and beyond look at that. Our,
2: uh, institutions and institutions of government that the FBI, beat. Department of Justice, Homeland Security, all of those institutions, IRS, are thoroughly corrupt, yes. and it will only get worse if uh, the Democrats continue in power. So, to me, the rule of law, everything's at stake, and so people need to get off their high and mighty horses and stop being so, you know, self-righteous and and stop imposing standards, you know, on candidates that I don't know that God would impose, and think about the bigger picture
1: well it, again check out yeah check out the bigger picture that's certainly uh, the case also check out uh, the party platforms and you can see what each party stands for and as you mentioned uh, dr. Swain what happens in Washington is when uh, the party wins whatever party wins uh, the presidency gets to appoint so many political appointees and those political appointees often take uh, particularly on the liberal side take it amongst them or upon themselves to change laws by judicial fiat This is how we get things like transgenderism and same-sex marriage. It's not because people vote on this stuff. It's because the law is actually changed through judicial fiat. In fact, here in in North Carolina, uh, just to give you an idea of what's been happening, uh, in fact, the lieutenant governor, a friend of mine by the name of Dan Forrest, made this point recently. He said uh, when North Carolina, when Charlotte passed its ordinance – and they didn't have the authority to pass this ordinance that said any biological man could use any restroom he wanted to. The biological sex didn't matter. And then HB2 was passed by the legislature to prevent that dangerous provision from going through. When that happened, Charlotte and the ACLU or whoever, immediately sues in federal court, and then it goes through the court system, which literally means, ladies and gentlemen, think about this, a municipality like Charlotte, North Carolina, if it goes through a liberal court system, can impose their view on the entire country. A municipality, six people and a mayor can impose because we have a liberal court system, what they want on the entire nation by going through the federal court system. That has to end. I don't care what, I don't care where you stand, Republican, Democrat, any of that. That is not what our country was built upon. That is not a representative republic. That is not anything but tyranny, and it needs to end. So let me take a few phone calls, Dr. Swain, uh, from our people who have been waiting to talk to you. It's got to be quick, though, because we've uh, only got a few minutes. So let's start with Kathy in Texas. Kathy, you're on with Frank Turek. Ask Dr. Swain a question. Go ahead.
2: Good morning. God bless you. Uh, Dr. Swain, you are such an inspiration to those of us who are getting our PhDs later in life, in my case, much later in life. My question to you is, what advice do you have for older students who are going for the the gold? Well, first of all, um, you know, we, I, that's, uh, it's awesome news, and you can do it, and you're obviously making it happen, and I think older students have an advantage because they have life experience, and they're also very focused, so I think you do well, and I would encourage other people, you know, if you have a dream, to go for it. Praise God. Thank you. I can't wait to Google Google you and read your story.
1: Oh, please do. dot net is where you can see uh, her six-minute documentary on her life. Thank you for the call, Kathy. Let me go to Clyde in North Carolina. Clyde, you're on with Frank Turek and Carol Swain. Go ahead. Good
4: morning. Good, good morning, Dr. Swain. I am real concerned about this thing there in the Charlotte about the HB2 bill. I don't understand how these people down there passed that in the city, and it's really caused a lot of turmoil in then and the uh, – and the state and the governor. I'm thank God he's the governor's standing up for what's right. And uh, I just hope and pray that they can repeal that thing and get it out. Because I have a granddaughter, UNC Charlotte, and if something happened to her because of that, I'd I'd be in a I'd be willing a pile a lawsuit in a heartbeat. Well,
1: but Clyde, just actually, just just to be clear, Clyde, HB2 is the law that protects women and children in bathrooms you don't want to repeal that that's the one that protects women and children it was the charlotte city ordinance that was uh first of all illegal and secondly ill-advised and dangerous that hb2 needed to be passed to correct so hb2 is the good law in my view it's the charlotte ordinance, uh, uh ordinance that's the the bad law they didn't have the authority to pass but did you have a question for dr swain
4: no, that was my concern, and I thank you for the, for the allowing me to talk, and
1: have a blessed day. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. But well, you know what I think? Yes, I think go ahead. the
4: political left
2: is overplaying its hand on college campuses, because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, parents are not going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to send their children to institutions that will destroy every good thing they've put into their offspring.
1: Well, they are doing that, unfortunately, though, the, unfortunately, though, Dr. Swain. So in the remaining minute we have, what advice would you give to a parent who is about to send their student, their young uh, child, off to college? Where should they send them, and, and what should they be aware of when they go to college? I mean, or if they're they, Christian
2: parents with uh, Christian children, I think they should look at Hillsdale College, Union University. There are a number of Christian universities, not all of them, Not all of the Christian ones, but there are some that still support a biblical worldview, and they educate students really well. And as far as apologetics, that needs to be taught in church, not just how to defend the gospel, but also what the secularists argue, how to respond to that. It needs to be in our churches.
1: You're... You're preaching to the choir here. That's exactly what, what I've been saying for many years, Dr. Swain. I appreciate you saying that. But if they do, if they're already going to a place like Vanderbilt, Dr. Swain, what can they do to insulate, or let me not insulate, what can they do to inoculate themselves, is a better word, uh, to prepare themselves for the hostility that they're going to experience? Well, I
2: mean, the students I see, for the most part, they're scared. Many of them transfer to other institutions, and I think that the parents, the grandparents, the people that are paying for the education, they need to speak louder. The parents themselves are responsible, you know, for paying our salaries, and they need to exercise more power with that dollar.
1: And stop giving to institutions that are trying to promote values that are anti-Christian. Do not give money to colleges that do that. And I know many people value, in fact, my friend Mike Adams says this, do you love your kids more so than you, than you love your basketball tickets? If so, stop giving money to institutions that are there to degrade and tear down your, your values and your children. So you've got to stop doing that, uh, parents. I
2: agree 100%.
1: Now, Dr. Swain, give uh, our listeners your, uh, your website again where they can learn more about you.
2: I post almost every day on Facebook and Twitter. Okay. My um, Facebook is Professor Carol M. Swain. My Twitter is at Carol M. Swain. And my website's uh, be thepeopletv.com that's a blog page, and carolmswain.net.
1: All right, Carol, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you next week here in Charlotte.
2: Thank you so much. Bye.
1: That's Dr. Carol M. Swain. Check her out at those websites. And I hope to see you next week, France, here in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the National Conference of Christian Apologetics, ses.edu. See you then, France. God bless.